Hey, Life Canton. Roger here. When your pastor is so glad that you're joining us, whether it's your first time or you're with us weekly, welcome. Today is a special day. You're here our New Life Sunday for the month of January. Today, you hear the message from Pastor Jared and, and some of his discussion with those getting baptized. And I want to remind you of a couple things before you hear that message. First, just a reminder that this is an opportunity to support what God is doing at this church, which includes bringing people to faith through baptism. Uh, you can do that lots of ways, but one way is to give financially via the Church Center app or our website. You can support what God is doing uh, with your finances. It's a great opportunity to do that. Also, if you want to connect it, maybe you're even someone who has not got, gotten baptized yet and are interested, I would encourage you to fill out a connect card and let us know who you are, questions you may have, and you can even indicate that you are interested in baptism on that card. So be sure to fill that out, again, Church Center app or website. But give this message a listen. Pastor Jerry's going to talk about baptism and the call to it. Uh, enjoy that, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am grateful to be with you today and to celebrate baptisms as well. It's going to be a good day together in just a moment. I'm also excited for all of you guys. Uh, I want to let you know if you're new here, though, we want to make sure that you get connected. Uh, so there's a way that you can do that by taking out your phone and scan the QR code that's going to come up on the screen here in just a second. If you have any trouble with that, you can visit us out in the lobby, but that's just a way for us to get to know you a little bit more and then reach out to you and help you take a next step to get connected and to experience belonging. That's important to us. You'll hear why in just a second as well. Um, I'm excited for today, not just for all of you, but for the rest of you as well. I want to do something maybe a little bit different. Uh, if you are willing to take a risk, if you've been baptized before, whether in this church or in any other church before, if you've been baptized, baptized before, would you please stand for just a second, okay? And uh, I want you all that are about to get baptized, I want you to see all of these people that are here, standing here, supporting you, with you. And there's a reason for this, because last August, we did baptisms outside, and John gave a message, and he talked about the importance of community, that when you get baptized, yes, you are going in the water as an individual but you are also participating with a greater community that is here to support you and love you and put their arms around you as well. So these are the people that are here to care for you and to disciple you as you begin this new journey. So I wanted you to see their faces. You guys can all take a seat, but I've been wondering, I wonder if you've been asking the question too, what have all these people been doing since their baptism? Like, what have they been doing? What have they been up to? What does a baptized person look like? Or maybe more specifically, what is a baptized community? look like? What does a baptized life look like? What does life after baptism look like? I wonder for all of you who just stood up, if you would say, yeah, after my baptism, everything just was easy. Everything was so much easier. All my finances were in order. All of my relationships worked out. I never got in a fight ever again. I got a raise at my job. Everything got easier. I felt good. Life was good. Is that how you would answer? Don't answer just yet. That's a rhetorical question, okay? What does life after baptism look like? What's the expectation that you have? We're going to look at the first century and the baptisms that took place there. After Jesus' death and resurrection, they began to institute this thing called baptism, but in a new way. And it looked a little bit different than what they had understood before. So we're going to look at those in the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible and you want to join along with me, you can. It's in Acts chapter two. I'm going to get there in just a second, but I want to give you just a little bit of a context 
that's leading up to these first baptisms that took place 2,000 years ago. So there was this moment uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, there was this event called Pentecost. John talked about it last week, just a little bit in his sermon, if you want to go back and listen to that. But there's this moment where all of these people start speaking in different languages. And there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what's actually going on. And so Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, the closest friends of Jesus, steps forward and begins to give this incredible sermon talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done and what this moment means, as well as this plan that God has to restore, to rescue, to renew all of creation. This beautiful plan. And as a result of him giving this incredible sermon, these people are all there and they're listening to it. And they ask the question, what should we do? What should we do about this? And Peter gives them a command. He says, you should repent. In other words, you should turn, turn to Jesus and you should be baptized. Be baptized, which is what you guys are doing today. I wanna go to their baptism and what took place afterward and to see what is taking place in their lives as well. So we're in Acts chapter two and starting in verse 41. It says, those who believed what Peter said in his sermon, they were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Then it says this in verse 43, a deep sense of awe, everybody say awe, came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. What? What would that have been like? That sounds awesome. Like like we get the word awe here, but we don't really use that word a lot in our context. We use the word awesome. That sounds awesome. And to do signs and wonders, to do awesome things, right? Like this is, this is great because when we think about the word awesome, like, yeah, I want to feel awesome. I want to be awesome. I want things to be awesome in my life. I wonder, uh, for those of you who stood up earlier and you were baptized, would you say that your baptism was awesome? And then what took place after your baptism? Was it awesome? Did you feel awesome? Did you have everything go awesome for your life? Maybe not so much. I wonder if you would say, ah, I, don't, I don't always feel awesome. My job isn't awesome. My marriage maybe isn't awesome. And maybe you get into these scenarios where life gets really hard and painful. And then you begin to wonder, God, I'm not sure you're awesome anymore. And it can be, even cause us to ask this question, did my baptism really work? Was my baptism awesome or not? Did it do what it was supposed to do? And so I wonder if sometimes in our baptism, or at least our expectations of what baptism is supposed to be and what life after baptism is supposed to look like, I wonder if we think it's just supposed to be awesome and filled with signs and wonders all of the time. And then when it's not, do we have to ask the question, where did we go wrong? Did we miss something? I would say as a pastor meeting with people after they've lived a baptized life and started to experience hardship and pain and suffering, I've wondered, is it possible that their expectations of what life after baptism looks like was just a little bit off? Did we miss something? I think we missed something from verse 41 to verse 43. And it's not rocket science. You know what it is? Verse 42. It's the one right in between. Let's look at verse 42 together and see what takes place before they get to the awe, before they get to the signs and wonders. It says, all the believers were devoted. 
They were devoted. There was a life of devotion. Why is that important to talk about? Because sometimes I think our expectations of what life after baptism looks like is more dependent on emotion than it is devotion. And how often are our emotions thrown out of whack based on all of the different circumstances that happen around us? When things don't seem awesome, when things don't go the way that we intended them to go, and then our emotions get all jacked up, and then we wonder, God, where are you in the midst of this? I'm out. I'm done with this. How often do our emotions change based on our circumstances that are changing all around us? Now, here's the thing. I want to be incredibly clear. Emotions are a gift from God, okay? You need emotions. You have emotions. You should feel what you feel. You should have those emotions. You should express them in healthy ways. You should explore them, learn more about them, pay attention to your emotions. I am not saying you should not have emotions. Please hear me. They are a gift from God. However, I think this is a conversation about the ordering of our emotions versus our devotions. What do I mean by that? Let's talk about it this way. I think two thoughts I want to give you. First of all, when we have these emotions that are sometimes not awesome, that are sometimes negative, the the kinds of emotions that cause us to wonder, God, where are you in the midst of this? Why do you not seem faithful in my life right now? Why does it seem like you're not answering my prayer? Why does it seem like you're not providing in the way that I thought you would? When we have these questions about our faith, about doubts, they are not reasons to run away from God. He is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. And he's certainly not afraid of those more negative emotions. So what I would say is allow your emotions to propel you into devotion, to move you into a life of devotion, of asking those questions, of being devoted to God and wondering, God, what do you want to teach me in this? What am I needing to learn in this moment where everything doesn't feel awesome? What do you want me to get out of this? Allow your emotion to propel you into devotion. But I think the second thing that is also incredibly important is that when you begin to live a life of devotion, then allow that devotion to inform and transform your emotion. Allow your devotion to inform and transform your emotion. How do we do that? Well, here's what I would say. Our devotion is evidenced by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is working with us as well as working within us. John talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit working with us and within us to transform us to look more and more like Jesus. And that includes our emotions. In fact, we get a list of what that actually looks like. What does it look like to look like Jesus in the way of our emotions? We get a list in the book of Galatians. That's a letter that Paul writes to a church. And he says, there is something called the fruit of the spirit. And they look like emotions, but they could also be described as actions. We get the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These have both emotional things as well as activity attached to it. Allow your devotion to begin to transform your emotion. Oftentimes when I talk to people who 
are now living the baptized life, but maybe they're struggling with their sense of self-control, their lack of self-awareness, the way that they behave in groups and, and they're maybe loud or boisterous or angry and they just say whatever comes to mind and you begin to talk to a person about that and why they're doing that, they might just say, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I was raised. That, that's understandable. I understand. But if we are in Jesus and the spirit is within, the spirit should and will transform the way that we interact in our emotions as well. God wants to inform and transform us to look more and more like Jesus. So with that in mind, as we think about our emotions and our devotions, let's ask the question, devoted to what? What exactly are we devoted to? We get that in a very practical way in verse 42. Let's look at verse 42 one more time. It says, they were devoted to what? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to meals, and to prayer. Let's talk about those four things. First of all, let's talk about the apostles' teaching. Now, just a little bit of more context in history. These new believers, they weren't just random people off the street. These were Jewish believers. They, they were already part of the faith. They already knew a lot that there was to know about the faith. They had grown up in the faith. They were in Jerusalem for a faith-related event. So these guys were no dummies. They knew what they were talking about. They knew their Bibles in a sense. They would have had access to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Bible. So what new teaching were they going to get from the apostles? What was going to be new or different about that that was so important that they needed to be devoted to it? Well, here's the thing. We get this a couple times throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament is this idea that the apostles were recognized as people who had been with Jesus. There was something about them that stuck out. There's something different about these guys. They are men who had been with Jesus. Why is that important? I want to use an illustration, if I can, uh, to help further explain this, maybe in a better way that gives us an idea of what it would have looked like. But when I was in seminary, I took a class in Old Testament. And the professor couldn't be with us in person to teach the class because he was finishing up his doctoral studies at Harvard. Now, when I say Harvard, what comes to mind? Smart, top of the line, long traditional history uh, education. I mean, this is like a big deal. Smart people go to Harvard, like presidents and doctors and lawyers, like they go study at Harvard. Harvard is a big deal. So you know what I told people? I took a class at Harvard, no big deal. Why do I say that? Because there's credibility in name dropping, right? There's credibility if I were to say Harvard versus uh, any other school that I might've said, like Rasmussen College. None of you have heard that, yet that's where I actually got my undergrad. Nobody knows Rasmussen. Nobody cares about Rasmussen. But if I say Harvard, there is credibility in names. But let me be clear. There is no higher credibility than the name of Jesus. And to be associated with the name of Jesus, there's credibility there. And these men were recognized as men who had been with Jesus. There is credibility in who he is, but not just who Jesus is, but what he taught. These men had spent time with Jesus. And in a way, they spent three years with the sort of first century version of Harvard. I mean, they were with Jesus day in and day out, watching his every single move, but also listening to his teaching. What did he teach? He taught the Hebrew Bible. He taught the Old Testament, but he gave a renewed lens for how to view the scriptures now through him. 
And these apostles were devoted to him. And then in turn, these new believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because a devoted life is one that is devoted, a baptized life is one that is devoted to the teaching of Jesus. Let's talk about fellowship. Fellowship, that's not a word we use often, although if you grew grew up in church, you probably heard these words fellowship before. It just simply means doing life together, being together. It's where we get this code concept, you belong. You experience belonging with other people. It's why I had all of these people stand up so you could see that there is this new community who wants to support you, love you, and encourage you as you begin this baptized life, this new journey. And it's there for the purpose of growing in faith, and that's a big deal. But it's also understood that fellowship is helpful in the sense of hardship, in the sense of suffering, at persecution, at hard times and painful moments, and moments in life where life doesn't feel or seem awesome. See, it's important to talk about this in the context of the New Testament because this is a church that is experiencing great oppression and persecution and hardship. Guess what? You can't grow in your faith alone. You also can't suffer alone. You cannot do it. You cannot try to do this life alone. When you are going through the hardest trials of your life, the loss of a loved one, the financial burden, the sickness, the diagnosis, all of the things that would cause any of us to up and leave, to give up on our faith, to give up on God, and maybe even to blame God. We need the surrounding support of the community to strengthen us and encourage us and to remind us of these moments where Jesus says, yes, in this life, you will, not you might, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. How do you take heart? How do you take heart? Well, you first look at the endurance of Jesus, who the joy set before him endured the cross. Joy, that, that's an emotion, right? The joy set before him, he endures suffering. And then you surround yourself by community who also go through this enduring life as well. So that in those moments where it seems not awesome, where it seems painful, where it seems hard, you have others who can support you and be with you in the moments where it's hard. The fellowship of all the believers, because a baptized life is one that is devoted to the community of Jesus. Let's talk about meals. Sharing in meals. How many of you like to eat? This one seems easy, right? Like I can be devoted to that. That's why let's go right now. Let's go get some food, right? What is this talking about? Sharing in meals. Is this just like going through the line at Wendy's? Is that what this is about? No, there's more here. There's more here. This might be better translated sharing in the meals. And then we also get this extra part, the including the Lord's Supper, which means there were particular meals that were actually intentional, that were symbolic for these Jewish believers. Certain meals that celebrated or acknowledged certain things that God had done or was continuing to do in their lives. See, the meal had meaning to it. It wasn't just quick getting a bite to eat and then moving on your way. No, a meal was this long, uh, important, intentional, intimate time to acknowledge who God is and what he is doing, to acknowledge his faithfulness and to celebrate God. But then we get this other meal as well, including the Lord's Supper. See, this is one that hadn't quite been established in the same way as the other meals. They had just done this with Jesus where he broke bread and he gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then they drank wine and 
said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for you for what? The forgiveness of sins. This is a meal that this group of people had already participated in for hundreds of years called Passover. But now Jesus gives them this new meal, this new way of understanding this meal to say, this is going to be about something bigger. It's going to be about forgiveness. See, there's something that happens in a meal for us when we share in meals together. I I would say it this way, and we've said it before, that the ways of hospitality wreck the walls of hostility. We move into a life of forgiveness and love. Instead of sitting across the table and hating your brother, hating your sister, when you share a meal together, something that is intimate, something that bonds your stories together, it's really hard to move on from that meal now having hate in your heart for your brother, for your sister. There's this newfound love that you share with one another. That's why it's important to be devoted to sharing in meals, break bread together as a community. When you sit down and have a meal with somebody, share your story with them, share the new life that you have found because a baptized life is one who is devoted to the hospitality of Jesus. And then lastly, they were devoted to prayer. We're in a series talking about prayer right now, thoughts and prayers and expanding and redefining and transforming our understanding of prayer and continuing to help us grow. In fact, tonight, if you want to grow in your faith and grow in your confidence in praying for other people, we're actually having a prayer training taking place tonight from six to eight. That's before the Lions game, okay? So you can still come and make it and just in time. We'd love to have you grow in your prayer life and your confidence as well, but we, be, we are to be devoted in prayer as a baptized community. And again, uh, this is actually an interesting phrase in this passage here. It's not just to prayer just in general, although we could argue that. This actually is better translated and to the prayers. We get that again, similar to sharing of the meals. Be devoted to the prayers. Oftentimes when you talk about prayer, we say, uh, well, just go ahead and pray and just pray whatever comes to your mind. And then we might just start praying off the top of my mind. And that's okay. And that's okay. That's, That's good. And that's encouraged. And John talked about this last week that we pray in the spirit or with the spirit. Sometimes the spirit prays on our behalf when we don't even know what to pray, pray. but then sometimes we're devoted to the prayers. What does that mean? It means that there are already prayers that have been in existence before you even started praying, before you've even been baptized. There are prayers that have been written for centuries, for years, for hundreds of years, for people that have been praying as a community for years and wrote down their prayers and their psalms and their songs. Prayers that have come before us. Now, for those of you who maybe grew up in a more Catholic church or Anglican church where there are prayers that you have recited over and over and over can feel a little ritualistic at times. It can feel a little repetitive. It can feel like, oh, this is just dead and tired and boring and I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. And I would encourage you to rethink that, to rethink those prayers that have been written down and prayed over for centuries by other believers just like you. People who have gone before you, who have struggled with all of the kinds of things that you've struggled with as well and have cried out to God and felt that their prayer was worthy enough to write down so that people centuries from them might pray the same things as well. There is power in the community of prayer that have come way before us. There's wisdom and humility 
in prayers that have already been established. Some of you might like to learn more about that. We'd love to talk with you about developing a prayer life that maybe even includes some of those prayers that have been already written down. But either way, a baptized life is committed to a devoted prayer life as well, to praying like Jesus. And sometimes when you get into those moments of hardship, you're like, I don't even know what to say anymore. God, I don't even know if you're listening anymore. Jesus gives them a very simple prayer that starts off, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We are committed to praying like Jesus as well. So let me sum it up for us one last time. A devoted life. What does that look like? It looks like being devoted to the teaching of Jesus, to the community of Jesus, to the hospitality of Jesus, and to praying like Jesus. This is what life after baptism looks like. So I want to encourage all of you to be that community, to be that devoted community, especially in moments where your life, where your emotions don't feel all that awesome, to allow it to propel you into devotion and to be strengthened and allow that to transform your emotion as well. I'm excited to support you guys and pray for you guys as you get baptized today. Today is an awesome day. We're going to hear your stories in just a second. We're going to worship. Uh, People are going to baptize you. I apologize. I am not going to be able to participate because I have a herniated disc. Yay! Which means I can't lift things very well. And I know that's strange because I look really big and strong like a bodybuilder, right? Like that's what you're thinking. Uh, But we're going to let the team do it. And they're going to baptize you as well. And we're going to have some instructions for how that's all going to go. But this is a good day. This is an exciting day and a day that is going to propel us into greater devotion. Would you pray with me first? Father, we're so grateful for your death and your resurrection. All that that means in our lives individually, that you have saved us and there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. There's credibility in your name. We want to be associated with you. We want to be known for people who were connected to your son, Jesus. That starts with a baptized life. And then God, we want to grow in our community. We don't want to just do this on our own. In fact, we need everybody around us, supporting us, encouraging us, strengthening us as we begin to live a devoted, baptized life. So God, strengthen us today. Allow us to stake this moment as a celebration that new life has begun and it is just the beginning. We pray that in Jesus' name and everybody says, Amen. Welcome back. Hope you were encouraged by that message. I hope that you remember your call to baptism if you have been baptized or if you haven't. That was an encouraging message that maybe caused you to ask some questions about committing your life to Christ and what that looks like. Uh, but either way, uh, we, I want you to know that we're here to support you. 
then we want to encourage you with prayer or whatever kind of support that you need. So be sure to indicate uh, prayer or, or any other kind of need that you have on the connect card and we will reach out, get you connected and have a conversation with you. So be sure to take advantage of the opportunity, but I hope that you have a blessed, wonderful week and we'll talk to you again real soon.